0: Welcome back to the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of primary hyperaldosteronism from the endocrine section at medbullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 33-year-old woman returns to your clinic for continued management of her hypertension. She reports compliance with lifestyle modifications and prescribed antihypertensive medications including lisinopril, metoprolol, and losartan. She reports feeling fatigued and has noted slight abdominal distension. Her blood pressure at this visit is 155 over 92 millimeters of mercury. Serum laboratory tests show that the potassium is 3.1 milliequivalents per liter and sodium is 144 milliequivalents per liter. Now let's get into the episode. As a quick overview, primary hyperaldosteronism is a clinical condition caused by excessive and unregulated aldosterone secretion from the adrenal gland, usually from either an adrenal adenoma or adrenal hyperplasia. This presents with hypertension that is refractory to medical treatments. Treatment is an adrenalectomy if caused from an adrenal adenoma and medical therapy if caused by an adrenal hyperplasia. With respect to the epidemiology- the incidence of primary hyperaldosteronism is approximately 10% of patients with hypertension. Two-thirds is due to an adrenal adenoma, and as far as demographics, this is more common in women. One-third is due to an adrenal hyperplasia, and as far as demographics, this is more common in African Americans. Keep in mind that primary hyperaldosteronism usually occurs between the ages of 30 to 50. With respect to pathophysiology, The mechanism of primary aldosteronism is aldosterone secretion independent of the renin-angiotensin system. This can be secondary to an aldosterone-secreting adenoma of the zona glomerulosa, otherwise known as Kahn syndrome, bilateral adrenal hyperplasia, and adrenal carcinoma. As far as the presentation of primary hyperaldosteronism, symptoms can include headache, muscle weakness due to hypokalemia, palpitations, polyuria due to hypokalemic nephropathy, polydipsia, as well as nausea and vomiting. On physical exam, you may see hypertension that is refractory to medical treatments, arrhythmia, abdominal distension. However, keep in mind that there will be no peripheral edema due to aldosterone escape, but may be present in severe cases. As far as imaging, a CT scan is indicated to evaluate the cause of primary hyperaldosteronism and can differentiate between hyperplasia, adenoma, and carcinoma. As far as studies to work up primary hyperaldosteronism, labs will reveal serum hypokalemia, mild hypernatremia, and metabolic alkalosis. Invasive studies include plasma aldosterone to plasma renin, which is a screening test, and a positive screen shows an inappropriately high ratio of greater than or equal to 30. A salient infusion test is a definitive diagnosis test, and a persistently elevated aldosterone of greater than or equal to 8.5 nanograms per deciliter is diagnostic. Finally, adrenal venous sampling measures aldosterone level and a unilateral elevation indicates adenoma, while bilateral elevation indicates bilateral hyperplasia. Moving on to the differential diagnosis of primary hyperaldosteronism, this includes secondary hyperaldosteronism and adrenal incidentaloma. The key distinguishing factor between secondary hyperaldosteronism and primary hyperaldosteronism is that in secondary hyperaldosteronism, you will have elevated renin. The key distinguishing factor between adrenal incidentaloma and primary hyperaldosteronism is that in adrenal incidentaloma, there will be a non-functioning adrenal neoplasm. Moving on to treatment of primary hyperaldosteronism, this can be pharmacologic or operative. Pharmacologic treatments include spironolactone or plerinone which is indicated in the setting of hypertension and bilateral adrenal hyperplasia. Operative options include an adrenalectomy, which is indicated for a unilateral adenoma complications to mention include hypertensive crisis, cardiomyopathy, and nephropathy, as well as stroke. Now that we've gone over the major points about primary hyperaldosteronism, let's do some questions. Question number one. A 33-year-old woman presents to the emergency department after she found out she had a blood pressure of 165 over 100 millimeters of mercury at a local pharmacy. The patient is not followed by a primary care physician and is not currently taking any medications. She has no other complaints at this time. A bedside ultrasound with doppler of the abdomen is within normal limits. Laboratory values are as follows. Serum sodium is 139 milliequivalents per liter. Chloride is 100 milliequivalents per liter. Bicarbonate is 33 milliequivalents per liter. BUN is 20 milligrams per deciliter. Glucose is 99 milligrams per deciliter. Creatinine is 1.1 milligrams per deciliter and calcium is 10.2 milligrams per deciliter the patient is then given hydrochlorothiazide and sent home. An ECG is performed at a subsequent follow-up appointment and demonstrates U-waves. Which of the following is the best long-term management for this patient? And the choices are 1. Acetazolamide, 2. Lisinopril, 3. Spironolactone, 4. Stent placement, and 5. Torsamide. the correct answer to this question is 3, spironolactone. So this patient is presenting with hypertension, hypokalemia, and a metabolic alkalosis suggestive of an aldosteronoma, which should be treated with a potassium-sparing diuretic such as spironolactone. An aldosteronoma is an aldosterone-secreting mass that causes downstream physiological changes secondary to excess mineralocorticoid stimulation. Aldosterone acts on the principal and intercalated cells of the kidney to cause sodium and water reabsorption and wasting of potassium and hydrogen ions. This leads to the subsequent findings of hypertension, hypokalemia, and metabolic alkalosis. The best initial medical therapy for these patients is a potassium-sparing diuretic to reduce the patient's blood pressure without causing worsening hypokalemia. Agents such as piranolactone and aplarenone are preferred, as they are direct mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists. If non-potassium-sparing diuretics are given, worsening hypokalemia and subsequent arrhythmias are possible. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, acetazolamide can cause urinary bicarbonate loss in the urine and may decrease this patient's blood pressure and improve her acid-base status. However, it could promote further potassium loss and potential fatal arrhythmias. Answer 2, lisinopril is an ACE inhibitor that could be used in the treatment of hyperaldosteronism. However, it is considered second-line when compared to spironolactone, which is an aldosterone antagonist that more directly treats the underlying pathophysiology. An ACE inhibitor could also be used in renal artery stenosis. However, this patient's abdominal ultrasound with Doppler is within normal limits. Answer 4, stent placement would be definitive treatment for renal artery stenosis, which would present with hypertension refractory to medications A metabolic alkalosis, hypokalemia, and a brewie over the renal arteries or ultrasound with Doppler demonstrating decreased flow. And finally, answer five torsamide is a loop diuretic which would further worsen this patient's hypokalemia and would be preferred in cases such as heart failure with fluid overload. To leave you with the bullet summary, the best medical management of an aldosteronoma is a potassium sparing diuretic such as spironolactone or a plarinone. Moving on to the next question. A 30-year-old man presents to his primary care physician complaining of headaches. He states that over the past month, he has been trying to study for an accounting exam, but he finds it increasingly more difficult to focus due to his headaches. He also complains of lower extremity muscle cramping. He has no significant past medical history and takes ibuprofen and acetaminophen as needed. The patient's temperature is 98 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.7 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 168 over 108 millimeters of mercury and pulse is 75 per minute. Labs are obtained and are shown as follows. pH on VBG is 7.5, sodium is 146, potassium is 3.2, chloride is 104, bicarbonate is 32, urea nitrogen is 20, creatinine is 1.1, and glucose is 85. An ultrasound reveals a hypoechoic lesion within the right adrenal gland. A 2 cm right-sided homogeneous adrenal mass is confirmed with computed tomography. Which of the following findings is associated with the patient's most likely diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Elevated 17-hydroxyprogesterone, 2. High adrenocorticotropic hormone, 3. High plasma renin, 4. Low aldosterone level, and 5. Low plasma renin. The correct answer to this question is 5. Low plasma renin. So, this patient is presenting with hypertension, hypokalemia, slight hypernatremia, metabolic alkalosis, and a singular adrenal mass which is suspicious for primary aldosteronism caused by a unilateral adrenal adenoma. Primary aldosteronism is associated with low plasma renin levels. To quickly review, primary aldosteronism, also known as Kahn syndrome, is caused by an excess of aldosterone. It is typically due to a unilateral adrenal adenoma, but can also be due to adrenal hyperplasia. Patients may present with headache caused by elevated blood pressure, muscle cramping slash weakness caused by electrolyte disturbances, and polyuria. Labs will reveal hypokalemia, slight hypernatremia, and metabolic alkalosis. Diagnosis is made by an elevated 24 hour urine aldosterone level and low plasma renin caused by negative feedback due to the high aldosterone. Imaging may reveal a unilateral adrenal mass or bilateral adrenal hyperplasia. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, elevated 17-hydroxyprogesterone is associated with 21-hydroxylase deficiency, which is a cause of congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Patients will present with hypotension, hyponatremia, hyperkalemia, and metabolic acidosis. Females may also have ambiguous genitalia, and males may have precocious puberty. Answer 2. High adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH, is associated with pituitary Cushing's disease, which is often caused by a pituitary adenoma. Patients present with hypertension, central obesity, purple striae, moon facies, and a buffalo hump. Labs will show hypokalemia, hypernatremia, and hyperglycemia. Of note, adrenal Cushing syndrome can be caused by an adrenal adenoma, but this would be associated with a low ACTH level. Answer three, high plasma renin would be seen with secondary hyperaldosteronism. This presents similarly to primary hyperaldosteronism, but is not associated with an aldosterone-secreting adrenal adenoma. Rather, it is associated with conditions that fool the kidneys into thinking there is low intravascular volume, causing an overreaction of the renin angiotensin system. Associated conditions include renal artery stenosis, congestive heart failure, and cirrhosis. And finally, answer four, low aldosterone levels can be associated with the syndrome of apparent mineralocorticoid excess, or same. Patients present with hypertension, hypokalemia, and metabolic alkalosis, similar to those with primary aldosteronism. However, this is usually an inherited condition that presents in infancy with failure to thrive. While it can be acquired with licorice ingestion, syndrome of apparent mineralocorticoid excess would not explain the patient's adrenal mass. To leave you with the bullet summary, primary aldosteronism is associated with low plasma renin levels. And moving on to the final question, a 44-year-old male presents to his primary care physician with complaints of fatigue, muscle weakness, cramps, and increased urination over the past several weeks. His past medical history is significant only for hypertension, for which he was started on hydrochlorothiazide four weeks ago. Vital signs at today's visit are as follows. Temperature of 37.2, heart rate of 88, blood pressure of 129 over 80, respiratory rate of 14, and oxygen of 99%. Physical examination does not reveal any abnormal findings. Serologic studies are significant for a serum potassium level of 2.1 milliequivalents per liter, with the normal range being between 3.5 to 5 milliequivalents per liter. Lab work from his last visit showed a basic metabolic panel and complete blood count results to all be within normal limits. Which of the following underlying diseases most likely contributed to the development of this patient's presenting condition? And the choices are 1, syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone secretion, 2, pituitary adenoma, 3, adrenal insufficiency, 4, hyperaldosteronism, and 5, Cushing's disease. The correct answer to this question is 4, hyperaldosteronism. So patients with mild underlying hyperaldosteronism are prone to develop severe hypokalemia upon initiation of a potassium-wasting diuretic such as hydrochlorothiazide in this vignette. Hyperaldosteronism manifests with increased aldosterone, low plasma renin, metabolic alkalosis, hypokalemia, and hypernatremia. However, mild cases might show laboratory values in the normal or low-normal ranges. Thiazide diuretics function through direct inhibition of sodium and chloride reabsorption at the sodium-potassium co-transporter in the distal convoluted tubule. This also leads to an indirect increase in excretion of potassium and hydrogen ions and decrease in excretion of calcium and urea. When thiazide therapy is overlaid on top of an underlying hyperaldosteronism, the additive effect of these two forces can result in a precipitous drop in serum potassium levels. Vieira et al. discussed secondary hypertension. 5-10% 5-10% to 10% of adults with hypertension have a secondary cause. Fibromuscular dysplasia is a common cause in young women, whereas renal artery stenosis is a common cause in older adults. For middle-aged adults, hyperaldosteronism is the most common cause, and measurement of the renin aldosterone ratio is the initial diagnostic test to confirm or rule out this underlying cause. Calhoun reviews treatment of resistant hypertension secondary to hyperaldosteronism. The aldosterone antagonist spironolactone is an effective antihypertensive agent for patients with hyperaldosteronism, leading to resistant hypertension, and studies have shown that it is beneficial even in resistant hypertension patients without elevated aldosterone levels. Chlorothalidone, a long-acting thiazide diuretic, is recommended over hydrochlorothiazide for treatment of resistant hypertension. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, SIADH presents with hyponatremia and may be treated with fluid restriction or, in some cases, the ADH antagonist, demeclocycline. Answer 2, benign pituitary adenomas most often secrete excess growth hormone, leading to acromegaly, as well as visual defects due to local compression of the optic chiasm by the tumor. Answer 3, adrenal insufficiency presents with hyperkalemia and hyponatremia. And finally, answer five, Cushing's disease is characterized by excess cortisol and presents with findings that include hypertension, weakness, excessive hair growth, acne, abdominal striae, moon facies, easy bruising, central obesity, muscle wasting, and abdominal striae. That's all for this review about primary hyperaldosteronism. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on medbullets.com. And in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast thus far, we'd appreciate your consideration in leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 Podcast.